as our kids head out, if you would, take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 8. We are continuing to go through through the book of Acts, chapter at a time, and so hopefully you're able to read chapter 8 this week in preparation of being here. I know that some of you were reading it because you called and asked me difficult questions uh, about the chapter, but that's a, that's a very good thing, and I'm glad, I'm glad that so many people that were reading God's Word together as a church, and so we did Acts chapter 8 this week, and so read Acts chapter 9 in anticipation of, of what's happening next week, and then we'll just continue to go like that, a chapter at a time, as God leads us throughout the fall. You may have seen the school supplies over here. I'm not sure if anybody's mentioned this, but please don't take these particular school supplies home. Uh, these were collected by, by the kids who were doing a missions project, and they wanted you to see what they had collected. And we, if you would like to provide more, we would certainly take that. We were going to provide uh, these school supplies for kids who are in need in our area and who maybe are not able to afford or not able to get supplies like this. And so if you and your kids and your family would like to continue to contribute to that, we're going to do that for the next couple of weeks. Because, brace yourself, summer's almost over. The school year is coming. So, and if you are involved in education, you know all too, all too well that August is coming, the school year is coming, and I'm excited about some of the things that we have coming up in, in August. God has done some wonderful things here this summer. We have seen some amazing things happen, and we are gearing up for August. We have new Sunday school classes starting. We have new events that are going to be taking place. Kids are going to be moving into new Sunday school classes. A new men's Sunday school class is starting up. All these things that are going to be happening in, in August, and I'm excited about that. We love, as we say so often, we love to have your kids here. And during this time, we provide the children's church time for up through second grade. Kids are welcome to go to that. In the fall, we're going to begin exploring what it would look like to provide some more children's opportunities during this time on Sunday morning. And so kids and parents be watching for that, and we're going to talk more about that as, as the fall comes. Also, if you are visiting here with us, we want you to know that if you have a small child with you, we are so glad they're here. And if you go out this door in the balcony or you go out the door on the side, there are TVs out there. And so you won't miss any of the service. If a child gets unruly or your spouse starts to act up, you can just go out that, out that door and you'll still be able to be, be a part of, of the worship service and follow along with us. Hopefully you got a bulletin as you were coming in and you're able to follow along during the sermon on the, on the back of the bulletin. We have some sermon notes to follow along. All right, enough introduction. Let's read from Acts chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 1, which I know is a little bit strange because it breaks off the end of the previous chapter. It says, Saul approved of their killing him. And it's referencing a man named Stephen who, who was killed, uh, martyred for his faith in chapter 7. And then it says in Acts 8, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul, who would later be called Paul, began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. 
Verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Verse 8 is kind of the big verse for this morning. Verse 8, so there was great joy in that city. God, we thank you for your word. We come here this morning reminding ourselves all the time we do not come here for a religious ritual. We do not come here to check off a spiritual box. We do not come here to hear music or teaching from any human. Father, we come here based on your glory, based on your word, based on your work in our lives through Jesus Christ. That is the only reason we gather. And Father, we pray that that would be primary, that that would be center this morning. And we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you a question as we start this morning. If First Baptist Church didn't exist, would anyone notice? Outside of this room, if First Baptist Church, not this building, but this gathering of people, if we didn't exist, would anyone notice? And even more difficultly, would anyone care? Luke, in the book of Acts is an incredible storyteller. He's setting the stage for us as the Spirit of God is advancing the kingdom of God and the gospel, the good news about Jesus is spreading. Luke has this ability as a storyteller to stack his characters, to prepare us for what's coming. And so at the beginning of chapter 6, we were introduced to men like Stephen. And so Luke will introduce Stephen and then he'll come back to him in chapter 7 and give him a whole chapter. At the beginning of chapter 6... We were introduced to Philip. And now in chapter 8, Philip kind of gets his own chapter. And in the process of telling about Stephen's martyrdom and beginning Philip's story, Luke introduces a man named Saul. And Saul will become a key character in the book of Acts. And so what Luke is doing is he's showing us as Acts 1-8 begins to happen, as these people are witnesses, as the Holy Spirit comes upon them, And they become witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Luke is showing us how that's going to unfold through these different followers of Jesus. And so we get here to chapter 8, and we get a man named Philip. And so Philip is being used by the Lord. And it says that as Philip is used by the Lord, in verse 8, there was great joy in that city. Which tells us that as God works through his people... And as God works through his church, one of the results of that is that there should be joy in the city. And so as a result of First Baptist Church being here, if we are empowered by God's spirit, and if we are a part of God's mission, the level of joy in this area should be greater because of our existence. And we need to define a couple of words there. First is the word city. No matter how hard you want to convince yourself, we don't really live in a city, okay? I'm sorry. You know, there are cities and townships and, you know, there are different size cities. I grew up in a place where I graduated with 27 people from my high school. The nearest gas station was seven miles away. We lived out in, in, you know, 
And so Bay St. Louis is actually a pretty good-sized place for me. Amanda likes to say that she grew up in a big city because she grew up on the outskirts of Oklahoma City. And so Bay St. Louis is teeny tiny to, to her. Some of you like big cities. Some of you like small cities. And, and so we don't live in a city in the sense we might think about a metropolis. But we do live in a city in the sense of these are the places where government takes place, where we build our social relationships, where we have fun, where we participate in the economy. This is the area that God has chosen in his providence to place us, unless you're a visitor, of course, and we're glad that that you're here with us, but this is the place that we're in. But it's interesting. Look in verse 5 for a second. It says that Philip went down to a city in Samaria. So some, some versions reference the city in Samaria, the city of Samaria. You get different indications there in verse 5. But the interesting thing that Luke is doing is he's referencing a city and he's also referencing a region. Samaria was a region here. So he's not honing just on one particular location, though it does seem that Philip was working there. But he's also talking about Samaria because Acts 1.8 told us that the gospel is going to go where? To all Judea and Samaria. And so Luke is showing how that takes place. All right. I have a question for us. Raise your hand if your address is in Bay St. Louis. So you have a 39520 or... Okay, raise your hand if your address is not Bay St. Louis. So we may be about 60-40, maybe even 70-30 non-Bay St. Louis address versus Bay St. Louis address. The interesting thing about our church is people travel from this wide region. And so you may be from Waveland or Picayune or The Kill or Past Christiane or Long Beach or even further out than that. Or you obviously could just be visiting from out of town. But the point is, we're not a church just confined to this one particular area. But it still should be the case. When we hear this passage, when it says city, it's also referencing an area. And then as God's people were involved there, as God's spirit was moving, the level of joy was rising there. And so we also have to define the word joy, because joy is one of these things where anybody created in God's image can have happiness, can experience good feelings. Anybody in God's image can experience things like the great outdoors, or family relationships, or chocolate chip cookies, or whatever brings happiness to your life. We can experience those as good gifts, but there is a type of joy that scripture talks about that goes beyond that little happiness. There's a type of joy that scripture talks about that only God can bring. And what we want to see this morning is where does that joy come from? If First Baptist Church should raise the level of joy in this area, where does it come from? Because when you think about our area, I'm guessing that joy is not the first descriptor that comes to mind. Now, we live in a wonderful area of incredible beauty and people who have been faithful to one another and have been involved in this area for a long time. There are good things that are happening in the area. But let's be honest. We also live in an area of great difficulty, in an area of great heartache. Before Hurricane Katrina, there were less than 100 kids in foster care in Hancock County. Last month, there were 433 kids in foster care in Hancock County. 
almost all of those are as a result of neglect or drug use in the home. Almost all of the kids who are coming into foster care now are there, and they are testing positive either because of direct or indirect exposure to drugs. We live in an area where drug abuse and dangerous activities take place in the schools and at very low grade levels. We live in an area where alcoholism and sexual immorality is present, and not just present, but rampant. We live in an area where a lot of people are discouraged about the economy, discouraged about jobs, discouraged about life. We live in an area that if we were going to use a word to describe it, it would be hard to use the word joy. But this says that when God's spirit moves among God's people, that there will be great joy in that city. How does that happen? There are five things listed in your notes, and we're just going to walk through these just a step at a time. What does this passage teach us about there being joy in a city? The first thing is that joy does not come through religious leaders or church leaders. Joy comes when all believers are empowered and scattered by God's Spirit. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, and guys, if you can bring verse 4 back up on the screen just as we walk, we walk through these so people can, can see that. Verse 4 says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. You say, why were they scattered? Why were they going to different areas? They were scattered because of the persecution that's mentioned in verses 2 through 4. This persecution that came at Stephen's martyrdom as as Saul and others were persecuting the church, the people were scattered because of that persecution. But what we find out is that persecution doesn't stop the spread of the gospel. Persecution actually propels the spread of the gospel. Because these people are no longer clumped in one area They are scattered. They are spread out to new locations. And do you know who was spread to new locations? Not the apostles. Not the religious leaders. It was the everyday people who were spread. And so what we have to remember is that the spread of the gospel, the joy in this city, will not have anything to do with religious leaders like me making that happen. Church leaders. Because, you know, we live in a world where it's no longer the fact that being a religious leader or a church leader puts you on a high pedestal. Being a religious leader or a church leader actually makes people very suspicious of you. And religious leaders have caused all these problems in the media, and they've caused all, people have all these different perceptions. When, when I introduce myself to people, I try very hard not to say that I'm a pastor. <laughs> I'll, they'll ask, what do you do? Well, um... I'm a juggler. I juggle the opinions of 300 people, and, and that's pretty much what, that's all I do. Um, you try not to introduce yourself as a pastor, because when you introduce yourself as a pastor, the conversation gets very awkward. And, and by awkward, I mean non-religious people trying to act spiritual. And so you say, I'm a pastor, and all of a sudden the tone of the conversation changes. People make up all these fake cuss words when they would have used real cuss words before, and then they have to fill in the blank with these made-up cuss words because they don't feel like they can cuss in front of you. Or it's like, my brother's cousin's neighbor, he's a pastor too. Well, what's his name? I don't know. I just, and people want to seem spiritual. They want to seem religious. Try it sometime. Somebody ask you what you do, just say you're a pastor and see, see how it goes. It's really, it's really a lot of fun to be a part of those conversations. Um, but it's the idea that religious leaders 
church leaders are not going to be the ones to raise the level of joy. It is as God uses all believers and his, he scatters all believers to wherever he sends us that the joy begins to rise. There will not be joy in the city this morning. And this is hard for some of us to grasp, especially who have grown up in church. There will not be joy in people's lives outside these walls this morning because we gathered here. Nobody outside these walls is applauding for us, feels happiness inside, is very joyful because we gathered here. Frankly, and this hurts our feelings, they don't care. They don't care that we've, we've gathered here. That's just the religious people doing their thing at their little social club. Do you know where joy happens in people's lives? When we are scattered from this place. And when we interact with people in their daily lives, being a presence of God among them, living the gospel, sharing the gospel. And so joy will not come through religious leaders doing their thing. It will come as all believers are scattered where God sends us. Here's the second thing. Joy does not come through giving advice, joy comes when we witness to who Jesus is and what he's done. Look at verses 5 and 6. So Philip went down to a city in Samaria. And then notice that verse 5 doesn't end with, and gave them good advice to live a better life. What does it say? It says, he proclaimed the Messiah there. I love the translations that simply say, Philip preached Christ. That's what he did. Verse 6, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. Specifically, though, verse 5, that Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. The joy in this city, the joy in this region, will not come if church people give advice on living better lives. Because you know what happens with advice There's always more advice, and there's always different advice. And worse yet, advice makes it sound like we are giving human answers to a human problem. It is coming from one human to another human saying, here's how you can have a better life right now. We are not going to raise joy in the area by giving better advice than the other people. We are going to raise the level of joy when we preach Christ. When we say your greatest problem is not needing to live a better life, your greatest problem is that we live in a world wrecked by sin, and the only hope for that is through Jesus Christ. It maybe isn't as easy as giving advice, but it is what will make the change when we stop giving advice and we start preaching Christ, both with our lives and with our words. Third, so it's not through giving advice. Third, not through programs or buildings or the number of people who attend, but through stories of life change. Look back in verse 6. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, and I know that's kind of a strange translation there, it, it conjures up weird ideas in our mind, but with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. What we see in this verse is that when it says right after that in verse 8 there was great joy, what brought joy in this city is when they saw people's lives being changed. People who were experiencing unclean spirits, who were experiencing these demons, no longer experienced them. When people who were sick or paralyzed experienced healing, 
then there was joy in that city because they saw life change. Once again, we have to remember that the number of people meeting in this building, even though it's been so amazing this summer, the way that we have not had a summer slump, we've actually had a summer rise in attendance, that's been really neat. But you know what? The rest of the people, they don't care. The number of people meeting in a building, a religious building, does not bring joy to the city around it. We can have the best programs. We can have the best building. We can have the most people attending our meetings, and that will not be the thing that causes joy in the city. What causes joy in the city is when they see people's lives being changed. Someone who was bitter and angry and divisive all of a sudden becomes loving and caring and selfless, then people start to pay attention. Someone who was greedy and demanding and self-promoting all of a sudden becomes giving and loving and caring about others, guess what? People start to pay attention. When lives are transformed, when we see people go from darkness to light, that's when a city starts to get excited. They're not going to care about our building. They're not going to care about our attendance. They're going to care about life transformation. And life transformation that only God can do. Imagine someone in the city. Imagine a city organization looking in on a church and saying, I don't believe what you believe, but I don't know what we would do without you. I don't believe, I don't understand why you do that religious thing. I don't understand what you're talking about with Jesus. But I do not know what this city would do without you being in existence. Because through something you're doing, through something you're saying, there is this life transformation that's happening in our city. And that's when we say, it's nothing we're doing. It's God working through us by the power of his Holy Spirit to point people toward Jesus. Let's not think that buildings and programs and people bring joy. It's life transformation that only God can bring. Here's the fourth thing. Joy does not come through gaining personal power, through virtual reality, but it comes through the work of God's Spirit and the advancement of God's kingdom. All right, in verse 9, we get to this man named Simon the Magician. Uh, Now, for some time, verse 9, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. Okay. Just for the record, this is not the same type of magic that Brock Gill does or that Jack does or that your great uncle does at all the family reunions. This is not that type of of magic. This is black magic. This is drawing on evil powers here. Now, your great uncle might draw on evil powers, but but I don't know that for sure. So uh, he boasted that he was someone great. Verse 10, And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him. That should really key your interest in Acts, that it says someone is following someone other than Jesus. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Then skip down just for a minute to verse 18. 
Verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Do you see what happens there? Simon became greedy for the power that he saw in the apostles. There's a situation going on here that's kind of unique in the book of Acts where as these people believe in Jesus, they do not immediately receive the Holy Spirit. The apostles come and they lay their hands on them and they receive the Spirit. And Simon, who is a magician, guess what he thinks? New material for the next show. New new trick. I, I, I want to be able to do that and I will pay whatever it costs to be able to do that. And the apostles come along and say, you have completely misunderstood what's happening here. We are not trying to fake anybody out with a magic trick. We are not trying to gain power. We are just wanting to be used by God as the kingdom grows and as the gospel advances. Joy in the city does not come from when people look and see us trying to gain power. When they see us trying to gain influence through something that's just a show. If all we do is put on a good show to gain more influence, then we are just as bad as Simon right here. Or we try to do tricks so that people will give us more money, we are just as bad as Simon right here. Our only job, our only role is to be open-handed and say, God, would you work through us? Would you advance your kingdom? Would you advance the gospel through us? And we will be used in that way. Here's the last point. Let's finish up chapter 8 with this. So joy will not come through remaining with people like us, but making disciples of all nations to the ends of the earth. Look what happens down in verse 26. So you have to scroll down your phone a little bit or or turn a page maybe. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Uh, If you've watched the news at all, this last week, you've heard about Gaza. Gaza is running there along the eastern side of the Mediterranean, the western side of this area, and so they're going, Philip's going down that way. He started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of, and then there's the, usually the word Candace, or the name Candace in translations. Candace probably isn't a name as much as a title, and so this translation gives it kind of a, a, a transliteration of Kandake or Kandaki or something like that, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man, this Ethiopian eunuch, had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. All right, there are a couple of big things that jump out in, in this section right here. First, you see the reference to Ethiopia. This reference to Ethiopia is not the modern geopolitical area that we would call Ethiopia. This area is actually referring to the Sudan. So your African geography, you have Egypt, and then just below Egypt, you have the country of Sudan, and now you actually even have South Sudan even below that. But, but in Sudan is this area known as Ethiopia. And the people there were obviously, obviously enough, were known as being black. They weren't looked down on because they were black. It was simply the fact that they lived in a different area. And when you said Ethiopian in this time, 
everybody knew that you were talking about black people. Well, here's the amazing thing about the book of Acts. Notice that the gospel of Jesus Christ gets to black people before it gets to Gentiles. And so we live in this very strange world where all of these years there's been this division between whites and blacks in reference to religion. And the gospel went to people who were of black skin before it ever went to any of us white Gentiles. And so the idea that there would ever be a separation in the body of Christ to just make us pound our head and, and, and humbly ask the Lord for forgiveness, because we see right here the gospel goes to an Ethiopian. And not just any Ethiopian, but an Ethiopian eunuch. And, and because there are still children in the room, we won't describe too much about uh, the idea of a, of a eunuch, but the eunuch was simply someone who was single and was involved in the government in, in different ways. But the idea that he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So he was in some way associated with the Jewish religion. But here's the main point. Because he was a eunuch, he was not allowed to fully participate in the religious ceremony. So he traveled all the way from Sudan to Jerusalem to be at the temple. And even when he got there, he could not fully be a part of what was going on. Imagine someone from Houston coming all the way to Bay St. Louis just because they wanted to be a part of a church service, and they got here and we said, sorry, you have to stand outside because you're different than us. Do you see the impact that that would make on someone? This had been this man's experience when he had gotten to Jerusalem. And so he is going back home, and he's reading from the book of Isaiah, and Philip comes along and says, let me tell you what Isaiah is all about. And so you get over to verse 34. Philip asks, or the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, and this is such a key phrase. We could read over it really quickly and miss the point. Listen to this phrase in verse 36. Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Some translations say, what can prevent me from being baptized? Do you see the point here? What can stand in the way? What can prevent? In other words, because I'm black or because I'm a eunuch, am I going to be prevented from participating in this Christian religion? Am I going to be prevented from following Jesus? Verse 38 He gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. So no, being an Ethiopian, being a eunuch, nothing was going to stand in the way of him being able to follow Jesus. When they came up out of the water, in verse 39, just like Riley did earlier, when they, you'll notice she did come up out of the water. So uh, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way. And what does it say there? Rejoicing. There was great joy in that city back in verse 8. And the idea of joy is used again here at the end of chapter 8 to let us know that God was still working in those ways. And here's something we need to point out because this is important and we fall victim to this in church. Notice when his rejoicing happened. It was when he did not see him again. So the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, 
but went on his way rejoicing. Sometimes the Lord will use certain people in your life to lead you toward faith in Christ, and then those people will go different places. Pastors, I'm not, this isn't my I'm leaving speech, but, but pastors will come and they will go and, and transitions happen. Did you notice that joy still happened even though Philip was no longer with the Ethiopian? Because the Ethiopian knew that his joy was not dependent on Philip. Philip was just a messenger used by God to point him toward faith in Christ. All of us have to remember that our joy is not ultimately based on the presence of another person. It's based on the presence of God with us. We do not have to have another individual with us to have joy in Christ. We simply have to have Christ to be in him. And so I think this is an important reminder for all of us here at the end of chapter 8. All right, so we circle back around to the beginning. If First Baptist Church did not exist, would anyone notice? Would the level of joy be any different in this city and in this region? And no matter how we might answer that question right now, we have to ask ourselves going forward, are we going to be used by God to raise the level of spirit-given joy in this area? Are we going to say it's not about religious leaders, it's not about advice, it's not about buildings, it's not about any of those things, gaining power, staying with people who are like us. We're going to put all of that aside because we want nothing more than to be used by God to see people find joy in Jesus Christ. As we come to the end of our time this morning, if you have never experienced that joy that Philip experienced here when he was baptized, it would be my greatest joy, my greatest honor to pray with you, to talk with you. You can contact me anytime. If you're looking for a church and saying, I want to be a place that's committed to the joy of this city, then we invite you to be a part. Even after the service is over, we're going to have a free lunch For people who are new to First Baptist, who have been visiting, who have joined recently, and you say, I would really love to be a part of that or know more about that, you're welcome to join us afterward. We just simply want to work together to be used by God in this place. Let's pray together.